that for the past couple of days. And you know something? I want to let you know right now, that's the trump we're going to hear. We're going to hear the sound of so far. And those graves are going to split open. We're going to come up out of that grave. And our God's going to take us home to be with Him forever and ever and ever. There's no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering. Just Jesus.
to war, loud or soft, did you? Oh, my goodness, it was so good to see each and every one of you. Let's forget the other announcements I may have forgotten. Let's go to the past trip. Oh, thank you very much. It's right. This Sunday, sign up to the outside. Uh, there will be dinner on the ground there. Some of you have talked about that sign up out there. Help us to praise God for Baptist tradition. Before, but I know how impactful that was. I am one of millions around the globe that received a few months. My name is Sakusa Rokovasa Vakandela Tambua, Jr. I go uh, by Zach, and I'm originally from the Fiji Islands. My childhood was different 
from what a typical kid would go through. There were no toys, uh, no video games. We'd play with sticks and uh, jack stones. Playing rugby, of course, there was no rugby ball. We'd use a Coca-Cola bottle. Sometimes it hit you in the face, and, but we'll just carry on. The day when I received my shoebox, my mom was volunteering to distribute the shoeboxes. She made me the last kid to receive a shoebox. So she said, you know, if you run out, sorry. <laughs> but thank God, I got my shoebox. I opened it. I don't know how to say it. I, I, there was no word for me to say because I, I don't have this. Uh, I don't have this toy. I don't have this school supplies that was coming out from the boxes. And in this shoebox was a yellow yo-yo. Jaw-dropping moment, of course. No more playing with rocks and sticks. I have a yo-yo and those cars. And one of the scripture that came to my mind is, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We were all undeserving of the grace of God, but someone was full of grace, spent their resources, their money, their time. Somebody thought of me. God opened doors to my life and to my family. I moved to the United States. I'm called into children's ministry. I took a church van, went down to a store and buy shoe boxes. We packed 117 shoe boxes for my youth group and our church. I may not be face to face with someone around the globe, but with that shoe box, I'm evangelizing, multiplying, discipling someone to come to know Christ. Being part of the discipleship journey is very humbling. The Raiders Journey Discipleship Program is a program that Operation Christmas Shell includes for those that wants to know more about Christ. This is where my heart is. Evangelism, discipleship, and multiplication.
started out by looking at the cross. And though hard as it is not to preach about what Jesus did on the cross for us, uh, sometimes it's useful and edifying for us to talk about what it means for us to pick up and carry our cross. Hard for me to look at the cross or to look at pictures of the cross or to look at what happened on the cross and not preach about what Jesus did, not talk about it. In fact, what he did on the cross is my life. It's the reason why I stand before you today. When I began to realize what he did for me, my life changed. Now, I want to share with you something before we even get into our sermon. I want to share with you something neat, something personal, and something that all preachers need to share from time to time. I wish I had the time to share with you my personal testimony. Now, I don't have that this morning, but I want to share with you something neat. It wasn't that someone came to me and said, God loves you. It wasn't someone who said, let me invite you to church. That's not what won me to God. What won me to God was realizing where I was going without God. I began to realize that I was doomed. I was damned. I was uh, not as good as I thought that I was. Because in my mind and in my heart, I began to think that I was as good as everybody else in the world. And if God was to take one of them to heaven, then surely he would take me. And that seemed to be the mindset of the average American, is they take a look at everyone around them and say, I'm as good as they are. The problem is, is we are looking at the wrong standards of righteousness. We've been looking at man's standard of righteousness. And what makes us righteous in our own eyes is, did you go to church on occasion? Did you say you're sorry on occasion? Did you do something for charity? Did you love somebody? Did you stay faithful? We consider that righteousness. But I want you to know God's standard of righteousness is completely different. His standard of righteousness is moral excellence. And when you start looking at God's standard versus our standard, it's like measuring with two different rulers. It's like starting to look into outer space. Let me give you an example of this. If you were to take your little school ruler, you know the one that's just 12 inches, one foot, the one you carry around in your book bag or in your pencil bag, and you have a lot of fun with that, and you can draw straight lines with it, and you can do some minor measuring with it. So you would already run into problems if you took it out on the wood yard or out into a construction site and, and someone would say, can you cut me a 36-foot long 2x4? You'd probably say, uh, yeah, but i got to mark it 36 times with a little ruler. Well, you would advance later on into a tape measure. It would give you 36, 40, 46 feet. But even that would be useless when we step out into measuring the ocean. Could you imagine if someone says, can you measure for me 14 nautical miles? And you'd say, yeah, let me pull out my tape measure. i got to mark it 7,393 times. And I hope the waves don't roll too much it's going to mess up my mark. But you know, that's even nothing in comparison to going in and out of space. You start looking into things like light years. Light years. Because the, the mile that we have here nothing compared to life. Nothing. In fact, it's such great distances that we have to give it its own name. We can't travel that far. We can't go that far. It'll take us years and years and years and years and years to get to one of those places. If you were to get up there and say, let me just pull out my car's tripometer and see how many miles I can walk down, you would not make it. You would not get there. The same thing when you try to measure your righteousness to what God's righteousness 
Jordan to anybody else. Really, what we need to start thinking is, I need some help. If I need a Savior, they need a Savior. If they need a Savior, I need a Savior. When we start realizing the reverse, when we start thinking here in America, well, I'm as good as everybody else. We need to start thinking, I'm as bad as everybody else. And if I needed to get saved, they need to get saved. And that should fuel our desire to bring the gospel to everybody around us. Because you know as well as I do that everybody in the United States of America needs to come back to God. Every one of us need to repent. Every one of us need to get our heart right. Every one of us need to get ourselves off the couch, back into church, back into God's will, back to witnessing, back to sharing God's will. You want to know why our world is getting overrun by Islam? It's because Christianity has sat down and be quiet. We need to get back to His will. Back to what He does. You know, this morning, as we look at the third part of our series, we began it called Cairo the Crisis of the Cross two weeks ago. And we started our journey by examining the consequences of the cross. That's where, just as a way of reminding, that's where a believer begins to experience the world's reaction to Christian thought. In other words, remember how we looked at controversy and how a Christian looks controversial when they start forgiving somebody that sins against them, or when they start loving the unlovable. And we looked a little bit and started learning a little bit about every Christian having a battle with the flesh, with the world, and with the devil. Every one of us have that. And when we start putting aside ourselves and start giving in to the will of God, when we start saying no to the world and yes to God, when we start saying no to the devil and yes to God, the world looks at us like we're some sort of controversy started looking at that a little bit. Some of us need to be reminded of that. Some of us need to be reminded of that. Last week, in our next stop, we took a look at the conflict of the cross. And we examined how a believer who embraces the cross comes into direct conflict with their very own will. They start battling their own thoughts and their own desires. And we learned that this conflict is a daily battle that can only be won as we die to ourselves and let Christ live through us. This morning, we're going to conclude our sermon series by looking at the cross of the cross. Controversial. And let me tell you, the cross is controversial. It's controversial when it's biblical. It's not controversial when it's worldly. We look at the conflict. It's conflicting when it's biblical. But when it's not biblical, it's comfortable. This morning, we'll look at the cross. It's costly when it's biblical. In Galatians chapter 6, it needs to be verse 13. But God forbid that I should boast except for the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Shall we go to the Lord and pray? Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We're going to thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. Would you speak to us as we look into your word? Would you teach us, Father God? Edify us, equip us, encourage us. And I pray, Lord God Almighty, there be any hearts that need to get right with you, any souls that need to be saved. Glorify and magnify your name, Lord, and bring them to How much does it cost? I don't know about you, but let me ask you this question. Have you ever went out to eat? Well, what kind of question is that? This is a Baptist question, isn't it? We went out to eat all the time, right? You ever went out to eat and you noticed over the last couple of years that what you're paying for is getting smaller, smaller, and smaller. Have you noticed that prices are going up everywhere? You go to the grocery store, and 
the price of milk is up and the price of peanut butter is up, the price of cheese is up. If you buy cream, heavy cream, or half and half, the price is outrageous nowadays. In fact, we're discovering something else here in the United States that's coming along with that inflation. It's called high inflation. Have anybody noticed that before? Size inflation. What is that? You might say that's where a producer has decreased the size or amount of a product that you would have normally purchased, but kept the size the same. We started noticing that in sodas. Remember, we used to buy 12-ounce soda cans. Now you get 8-ounce soda cans. The price is the same. When I was a kid, I remember going to McDonald's, and I, you know what? Don't look at me with those shameful eyes. I don't know one family in this world that didn't get a Big Mac in their car and have lettuce and cheese in the seat. Praise God, right? Onions floating around. And back in those days, when I got that big old nasty hamburger, it was so big they had to put cardboard around to hold it together. Nowadays, you get a Big Mac, you're saying, that's not a Big Mac, that's a Big Whip. Go like this, and it's amen in the Baptist church. Yet they're charging more, they're charging more. It's called science. Have you bought a bag of chips and you open it up? And of course, they put the disclaimer on the top, you know, some settling may occur during a package. There's nine chips in the bag and the rest is air. What happened? What happened there? It's called size inflation. You're getting less for what you paid for. But back when we look at the cross and we ask that question, how much does it cost? I want you to know something. Are you ready for this this morning? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? He doesn't change. His gospel doesn't change. His people don't change. And somewhere down the line, we let the world tell us that we're supposed to change to reflect the world wrong. We're supposed to live godly, biblical lives. And the world is supposed to try to look like us. Somewhere down the line, we change it back. So what is the cost? Let's look at what the Bible says. Remember, we began with our cardinal scriptures, if you will. We want you all three this, looking at the Apostle Paul saying, I want to crucify myself. In fact, that's his philosophy. I crucify myself that the Lord might live to me. Now, that is definitely a paraphrase, but that's what he's saying there. I will die to myself that the Lord might live through me. I will boast only in the cross, in Jesus and Him crucified. Nothing else matters. That's what I preach, that's what I teach, and nothing else is important. Let's look at the cross for the cross. In Luke 14, 27 to 33. We'll read this quickly now. The Bible says, And whoever does not bear this cross to come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it. Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him. Verse 30, saying, This man began to build and is not able to finish it. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000? meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks to get to the peace. So likewise, whoever you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. So we can see from the Scriptures that we don't really have to dig too deep what the cost of bearing the cross is, what the cost of picking up the cross, what the cost of being a disciple of Jesus is. And that cost, the cost of the cross is simple. It is bearing it. Can I get an amen on that this morning? You're supposed to pick up the cross and follow after Jesus. And the cost of it is bearing it. 
That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to pick it up. We're supposed to carry it. We're supposed to follow after Jesus. The problem is, is some of us want to pick up the cross and go somewhere else. We want to pick up the cross and get off the map with it. Or we want to take it in places it should not be. Can the cross not go somewhere? No, no, no. The cross can go anywhere. And the gates of hell will never prevail against it. Amen? Not one. Sometimes when we bring the cross to try to mix it with things in the world, it's not what it's supposed to be. That's where we end up with ruin and untruth. That's what we're talking about this morning, though, is the cost of the cross is bearing it. So I want to remind you that the cross is not a good luck charm. People think it is all the time. I'll just put a cross under my uh, sick grandma's bed and she's going to heal. Wrong. Wrong. Praise God if she does, but it had nothing to do with the good luck charm you put under that. It's not going to win you your bet on the Dallas Cowboys today. You might get up and cross your TV and say, in the name of the Lord, the Cowboys are going to win. That God will make them lose just to make you look silly. Not a good luck charm. Not a blessing symbol. Certainly is not. A fashion symbol. But we turned it into that. We wear the cross and everything. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you should quit wearing crosses. I'm not saying that ladies should never wear them on a chain around their neck anymore. I'm not saying they shouldn't have them on their purses or on their shoes or on their belts. They're everywhere nowadays. My point is this, though. The world has picked up the cross as some kind of fashion. The world has picked it up and turned it into some kind of fashion statement like they would Calvin Klein or Louis Vuitton or some other fashion designer. They pick up the cross as though it is just that, an emblem or a symbol. The cross means so much more to us. We're not called to display the cross. We are called to bear the cross, to carry it. Matthew 10.38 tells us, He who does not take the cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. In fact, you've read scriptures before to say, Those that put their hands to the plow and look back are not fit for the kingdom of God. We can go on and on and on about it. Jesus says, If you truly eat of me, you'll never hunger again. He says, If you drink of the water of life, you'll never thirst again. Yet the churches are full constantly, over and over again. And somebody who says, I've given my heart to Jesus, I've surrendered to Him, I've said the sinner's prayer, and I'm a Christian, I'm born again, I'm blood-bought, but I'm going right back into my sin, right back into my life that I used to live. And you know what? I don't know about you, but I get, I get to where I get thinking there's something wrong with that kind of testimony. Have you ever heard the testimony that sounds like this? I gave my heart to Jesus when I was 11. And when I was 12, I got involved in extortion and murder and rape and kidnapping. And for 32 years, I did other things I don't want to talk about. But all the time I knew the Lord and gave my heart back to Him when I was 43 years old. And you think to yourself, there's something wrong with this person. You know what's wrong with it? Truth is, is they may have picked up a cross and they may have looked at the cross, but the truth is they never they never carried it. They never crucified themselves on it. They never looked at what the cross is. I want to remind you what Jesus says in Matthew 10, 38. He says, He who does not take the cross to follow after me is not worthy. You understand what I'm talking about this morning? The cost of the cross. 
to pick up our cross and to follow Jesus. And the question naturally comes to my mind is, where are we supposed to follow Him to? Can I be honest with you this morning? You know I'm going to. We are not to follow Him to fame. We are not to follow Him to fortune. We are not to follow Him to some celebrity status. We're supposed to follow Him to... We're supposed to follow him to Calvary. That's what the cross stands for. It doesn't stand for fame or fortune or celebrity. It doesn't stand for good people. It stands for people who are disciples by Jesus Christ and follow after him. And his will is to go to Calvary. And we're supposed to follow him there. Crucifying ourselves on the way. That's the cost of the cross. It's controversial to the world. It's conflicting to the world. It's even conflicting to us, isn't it? It does. It conflicts with our own thoughts and our own desires sometimes. We're like, I don't want to die to myself. I want that big, nasty, greasy Big Mac. We do that. We get into it. Now, that's, a, that's one of those little ones that we often don't talk about. But it's true. We give in to things like that all the time. We're supposed to pick up our thoughts and bear it to Calvary. And when we start looking at what the cross means, what the cross cost, perhaps it's a little bit different to us. What does it cost? In fact, what does the cross cost? When you decide as the disciple of Jesus Christ, I'm going to pick up the cross daily to follow after Jesus, you can expect some certain things to start happening in your life. Number one, you can expect that the world's going to look at you controversial. Remember, we started that out two weeks ago. When you pick up your cross and you follow after Jesus, the world is going to think you're some kind of looney tune. They're going to think that you're crazy. They're going to think that you don't belong in this world. And you know what? Praise God. We are no longer of this world. We're not supposed to be a part of it anymore. We're in it, but we're not of it. Somebody say amen. We're supposed to be here. His light, His witnesses, His ambassadors, sharing His word, sharing His will, sharing His gospel with everybody. The problem is when we get stuck in the world and we lay down the cross and say, I don't want to carry that anymore. Lay it aside. We pop it up in the corner. We say it's too heavy or it's too costly. The Apostle Paul gives us some wonderful advice about that. Remember, the world will look at you controversially. We'll look at you in controversially sometimes. But I can't believe. I can't believe I'm going to do this. Apostle Paul writes to the church of Philippi in chapter 1, verse 21. He says, For me, excuse me, for to me to live is Christ. And to die. To me, to live is Christ. Let me, if I may, just look, if we can, into the mind of the Apostle Paul. Just for a minute to look into what the intent was as he writes to the church of Philippi. And the church of Philippi is not a big church. It's probably every bit about the size of Robertson Avenue. Here's the difference, though. They had a bunch of people in there who are loving, happy, rejoiceful people. You ever see a bunch of persimmon-looking Christians? Those are the ones that walk around and never smile. You know what? They need to read Philippians. Especially 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. we got a lot of things to be happy about. you got a God in heaven who thinks you're worth dying for. you got the Holy Spirit. you got the Bible in your head. you got a church family. you got a brand new vocabulary. you got friends, brothers, and sisters. you got a family. 
be worldwide. And one of these days, the sky is going to split open and our Savior is going to come down and take us home. I don't know about you, but that's worth rejoicing about. Woo! Here is what Paul writes to that little struggling church. And it is struggling. It's struggling financially. And let me just give you some background of this Apostle Paul. Paul's in prison when he writes this letter. He's in prison. What's he in prison for? He's big man. No. He's in prison for speaking the gospel. You want us to be a captain in the prison? All the inmates will remind me of that. Paul was in prison. I was like, yeah, well, Paul's in prison. It was never a different place. So don't get self-righteous on him. They did. Well, Paul could do it. I was like, well, you can do it too. But you're going to have a lot harder time getting somebody to trust you. See, Paul wasn't in there for speaking. Paul was in there for preaching. You go to prison, it's a preaching, it's a badge of honor. In fact, if you ever see the police pull up in front of 102 Blanket Drive, Cottonville, Texas, you'll say, Brother Johnson's preaching in the city council again. If you ever see him get escorted out of Walmart, you'll say, Brother Johnson's preaching in the beer aisle again. You know it's true. Josh got kicked out from putting gospel sacks down in the club. I can't help it, though. True. Ask that to about it today. Yup, it's embarrassing, too. So I get walked out of the restaurant because I stood on a table and started preaching. I can't help it sometimes. Here, the Apostle Paul writes to the struggling church from a prison cell. He then has written all this letter. And in this letter, it's been an offering. And we did an offering. In fact, this is the first offering. And I want you to think about the beautiful offering you've laid out here. I want you to think about what God does with those offerings. The offerings you send to those missionaries in our FLC 60. I want you to think about the missionaries we support in prayer. I want you to think about those offerings. This little teeny tiny church sent its offering to the Apostle Paul because this prison wasn't like it was. It wasn't like we have here today because you and I know the image going to eat whether you send money or not. You know he's going to have clothes whether you send clothing or not. You know he's going to get his shower. He's going to get his free hot in a cut. All he has to do is obey and he's going to have very little trouble. To be honest with you, how do you know that? He only worked there. Very little trouble if he just does what they tell him to do. It's different in this prison, though. This prison, he would eat only if the guards felt like food. There was no one for them to answer. They would only buy food for him if the family, if somebody provided for him to go buy food. Other than that, he was hungry. He left joyfully. This little church sent an offering to that little jail where Paul was. And I imagine his face when those jailers walked in, when those prison guards walked in. Remember, I worked for Texas Department of Civil Justice, so my mind's eye, they walk in those big gray uniforms, those keys are dangling, those handcuffs and leg irons, that riot baton, that big old can of LS10 spray. Someone dropped down. Thank you for loving me. But I want you to know, and you read 
put the foot to it because you're, it doesn't matter if you're a young Christian or a new Christian. I guarantee you, you run into the book of Philippians. Philippians has some of those wonderful verses in it. In fact, it has the most taken out of context verse in the Bible, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We like to think about that, being able to get outside, put our hand underneath the car, raise it up and say, look, I can change my own oil without an auto jack. That's what we think, don't we? That's not what Paul talks about. What is Paul talking about? He writes back to church and says, thank you for your offering. Thank you for loving me. But I have learned in this process that I can be hungry, I can be full, I can be clothed, I can be naked, I can be cold, I can be warm, I can be destitute, I can have everything I ever needed. Because I can be all the Christ. He understands what Paul is saying. And as he writes this little teeny tiny verse, Philippians 1 21 to this beautiful church who was rejoicing in the Lord always. And again, they were rejoicing. They sent that offering and they were rejoicing. Paul writes them back and he says, come to me. In other words, what he says, this is how I feel. This is the way my life is. What you mean to live is What did he say there? He said, life is Jesus. There is no other life but Jesus. He said, I didn't know what life was until life came to me and I started living. I didn't know what it meant to breathe until Jesus Christ came out of my lips and my body began to breathe. For to me to live is Christ. To die to what I used to want. To die to what I used to think I needed. To die to how I thought I should be treated. And instead to start living to Jesus Christ. That He might use me. That He might send me. That He might profit somehow by my body. That is life. And let me tell you something. As a servant of Jesus Christ, there is no greater honor than when somebody gives their heart to the Son of God and becomes His child and catches a hold of the same zeal that Paul had. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What is that cause? Well, we're all going to find out something when we start looking at the cross. What well, I said before, it's really hard not to preach about what Jesus did on the cross, about His staying on the cross, about the hours on the cross, about the walking to the cross, about what happened as he's carrying his cross to Golgotha or to Calvary. There's so much we could go in on at the cross. It seems to never end. But we're going to find out if it's just And here's the truth here the closer we get to the cross. The closer we get to the cross, well, let's look at it. So look with me in Matthew 13, verses 1 and 2. Remember now we're looking at the cost of the cost. We look at the controversy. The world looks at it controversial. They say, My goodness, you bunch of dummy Christians. I can't believe you let the world walk all over you. I can't believe you let them take advantage of you. I can't believe you're dying to yourself that Christ might live for you. Also, conflicting. I can't believe you're fighting with yourself. If you want to do it, you should just do it. Isn't that what we say today in our commercials? Do what you want to do. Live how you want to live. Look at me in Matthew 13, 1 and 2. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that 
got into a boat, sat in a whole multitude, stood on the shore. So we're starting early in Jesus' ministry, and I need you to understand we're using the harmony of the gospel here. In his early ministry, we begin to see that multitudes were all around Jesus. And incidentally, Jesus' ministry is about three and a half years long. That's it, just three and a half years long. And in that three and a half years, he changes the world. Over 2,000 years later, there are still preachers of the gospel preaching. There are still churches surviving, thriving. There are churches that are still reaching into this world. There are hospitals that bear his name. Books are still being written about the Son of God. There are still miracles happening in his name. There are still demons being cast out in his name. There are still chains being broken in his name. Countries being free in his name. Why? Because he's the Son of God. He didn't write any books. He didn't get in any fancy cars. And I don't know about you, but it's really hard as a modern-day American to consider anybody who gets executed at the end of the ministry as a successful preacher. Think about it. If you were to grab me this morning, drag me out into the parking lot there, stick me up on the cross and say, there, John, will we consider that a successful Sunday morning sermon? Probably not. You'd be like, what did that guy say? It's a King James only church. I'm telling you. It's hard for us to see that. But you know, Jesus speaks to us about sin and the cross. He teaches us to be controversial. He teaches us to be conflicted. He teaches us The memory starts out in his ministry early, and there's multitudes. We just read about it in Matthew 13. Multitudes all around him. Look at me in Matthew 14, and let's read about this 5,000 that he fed. Multitudes now into 5,000. Look at me in verse 19 of Matthew 14. Then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitudes. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained. Now, those who had eaten were about 5,000 men. Five women and children. Multitudes, 5,000 men, not counting women and children. Look with me in Matthew 15. Did you notice something? You want the multitudes, the 5,000. Look with me in Matthew 15. We're going down a little bit smaller. Matthew 15, 37 and 39. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets full of the fragments that they left. Now those who ate were 4,000 men, besides women and children. And he sent away the multitude, got into the boat, and came to the region of Nazareth. So we went from multitudes that had no real numbers into a multitude that was about 5,000 men, not counting women and children. Now into a multitude of 4,000 men, not counting men and children. Look at me in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, are you seeing something happening here? Verse 1 of Luke chapter 10. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also. This is the 5 to the 12. He sent 70 others also and sent them two by two. Lord says, in every city and place where he himself is about to go. Are you noticing a trend here? What happened to 5,000? What happened to 4,000? What happened to multitudes with no numbers? And now all of a sudden, I got 70. Are you seeing something happening? Let's take a look at John. You know, I'm one of those weird guys that knows the same. I like to pay attention 
doesn't mean I'm always right. But I like to pay attention to stuff. In John chapter 6. And I want you to look with me in verse 66. That's right. 666. How many of you go to the grocery store and the clerk rings up their um, mountain and like, that's $6.66. You'd be like, not today, Satan. Get that piece of gum real quick. Throw it up on it. Well, like this. You know what I'm talking about. Like, oh! You get that license plate that's 666. You'd be like, this is going back to the DMV right now. No! Look with me in John 6, verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Understand the controversy of that we see on. The controversy of that we see on. The cost is more than many today. What are they talking about here? Well, if you read the background of John 6, Jesus is going to tell us that you've got to eat my body, you've got to drink my blood. you got understand that I have to be in you, and you got to be in me. you got to die to yourself, and you got to let me live through you. You've got to be born again. And they're like, no, we can't do this. I don't mind being religious. I don't mind putting on some holy garments. I don't mind going to church on Sunday. But you're not going to take over my life. The Bible tells us in John 6, verse 66, and that time many of the disciples went back and walked with them no more. Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? We have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that thou art Christ, the Son of the living God. Can I ask you a question? Did you see the multitude of those numbers? Did you see five thousand, five million cities? Did you see four thousand, five million cities? Did you see the seventy?
don't you know Judas was there? Judas was part of the arresting mob. They all fled, the Bible says. From multitudes without number, 5,000 to 4,000 to 70 to 12 to the 11 in the garden with him. And did you notice that? The crowd keeps getting There were also women looking on from afar, among whom were Mary, Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, the rest, and of Joseph, and Salome. There were some women looking on from afar. John chapter 19 tells us he's actually at the foot of the cross. I don't know about you, but I'd like to think that if I was there, I would be at the foot of the cross. Most of us would say that. I'd be there to the end. Would we? Would we, or would we have been here? Look at John 19. Look at me in verses 25 and 27. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary and Maggie, four There's also somebody else there. You might know who this is. Right? Heard it up there, John. Look at me in verse 26. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, John, standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Just five. From the eleven now, five. What's the message then that we get about the cross? About the cross. Are you ready for this? Because the closer you get to the cross, the smaller the crowd becomes. The closer you get to Jesus Christ, the less the world likes you. Are you following me this morning? The closer you get to Jesus, the less the world wants anything to do with you. And you know what else? The world has hidden itself quite well in the churches today. It has embedded itself. It is part of. It is doing its best to water down the gospel. It's doing its best to mix the gospel. It's doing its best to take the gospel out and put in a social program. The cost of the cross is learning to leave this world behind. Like Paul said, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You understand something, Christian? This world is not our home. We're not designed to keep living here. We're designed to be living with Him forever and ever and ever. This is just a pit stop and you'll get to choose where you spend eternity in heaven or in hell. And if you will choose the cross, if you will choose Jesus Christ, then you'll find yourself becoming a little bit Philippians 3, 7 to 10 tells us, For what things are gained to me? This is Paul writing back to that church. These I count and lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, whom I suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. That I may be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering being conformed to His death. Understand the picture. The closer you get to the cross, the smaller the crowds are. The closer you get to Jesus, 
world loves you. And the more you start loving the people of this world, you start dying to yourself that He might live through you. And when you embrace the cross, you'll find out that it is worth it. People ask me all the time, Pastor, what is the cost of the cross? The cost is letting Him live through you. Amen. That's the Christian message. We are His arms. We are His feet. We are His eyes. We are His heart. And I wonder what it would have been like to be John that last supper night. That last supper. He's at the table reclining with Jesus. And the Bible tells us He lays His head on His breast. Could you imagine what it would have been like to hear the heartbeat of Jesus? Imagine that to feel his heart going. And could you imagine hearing the rhythm and thinking to yourself, What did that heart beat for? No, he would be for God's saying, full of the world.
humble yourself, guide yourself, grow with Jesus Christ. Remember the words of the Apostle Paul. For to me, to me, and to you, to die with God. Let's pray together. Let's be praying. We're going to be praying. He's spoken to you. All these things that you believe. Father, we come to you now. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Your word is quick and it's powerful. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's my prayer right now, Lord, that will cut down into our hearts. Cut down into our souls. Lord, speak to us. So that anyone who needs to come to know you, anyone, Father God, who needs to get their heart right with you, anyone, Lord God, who needs to be a part of our family, let's say you have been. Bless you and praise you in Jesus' name. As you come now, as we sing, come on, pass me on. Now be the time. Let's take you today. Please God.
stay behind just a minute or two. Get your picture taken right here in front of the altar, in front of the pulpit. I'm going to put them in our ocean sea boxes. So praise the Lord in that. Um, I think that's it for our announcements. So don't forget tonight, 6 o'clock service, 4.30, fire practice, power practice. Uh, let's close in that word of prayer. And I'm going to ask Brother Joe Bailey.